You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. As the weather turns colder and the holidays are here, if you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red or a bottle to gift to someone, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small sub-region, Stag's Leap District, home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in Cabernet that is truly delicious, The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture. This is a wonderful option for holiday gift-giving or to bring to a special dinner party. Listeners of To Dine For will receive a 15% discount at Uncork.com. Just use promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers and happy holidays. To Dine For, the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, Visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most fascinating and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's podcast is Alex Garnaschelli. People say, how do I get good at cooking? I mean, what a joke. What do you mean, how do you get good at cooking? Start cooking. (laughs) Get a saute pan, some chicken. Let's do this. Alex Garnaschelli is a chef, author, and host of a new show on the Food Network. She currently serves as an executive chef at New York City's Butter Restaurant. She's appeared in countless television programs on the Food Network, including The Kitchen, Chopped, Iron Chef America, Guy's Grocery Games, and The Best Thing I Ever Ate. This month, she stars in a new show entitled Alex vs. America, where she battles chefs from around the country. Today, I talked to Alex about her incredible career in the kitchen and on television. 
I was especially fascinated by how she builds teams and creates culture in her kitchen and how she's navigating one of the toughest years of her life. Please join me for this special conversation with Alex Garnaschelli. Alex, thanks so much for being on To Dine For the podcast. I really appreciate you being here this morning. Thanks for having me. Let me just tell you, you saved my Thanksgiving because I did the butter-soaked cheesecloth and it worked like a charm. I love it. You really know what you're doing and you have really, in our, in our household, uh, you are a megastar. We absolutely love you. Thank you so much. I'm going to start this podcast the way I start all of the podcasts by asking you your favorite restaurant. And if you could take me to just one, which I know is a very difficult ask, especially for a chef, especially for you, what restaurant, I'm assuming in New York City, would you take me to dine? Wow. Wasn't expecting this question. <laughs> hmm. Probably Jean George, honestly. At the, you know, at Columbus Circle. Yes. That's yes. where I take you. And why would you choose that? Um, I think ever since the restaurant opened, it's just been an inspiration for me. Ah. I just, I find the way he kind of twists French flavors around and plays with different spices. I, I just, I always learn something. I always walk away looking at an ingredient I've eaten my whole life from a different vantage point. I used to go there um, with my parents for Thanksgiving. When my parents were older, you know, my mom would say to me, I don't want to cook Thanksgiving. I want to sit down and I want to eat it. And so we would always go there. So I just get a mixture of sentimental memories and exciting food. Wow. And it not only is it a stunning location, but it is one of, I think, the best deals in New York City for what you get. Because especially if you go at lunch, the offer uh, is usually a, a prefix menu. There's two items. It's a beautiful. You're getting world-class food, a world-class view. And it is really a sort of a quintessential New York spot, isn't it? Yeah. I really feel it's sort of strangely local. Yes. Even though it's also you know, obviously got its fair share of tourists. You're right. It yeah. does have kind of a local vibe. Yeah, it really does. Okay. So I'm fascinated by how you started your love of cooking. I know your mother, you spoke about your mother. She was a cookbook editor. Take me from that. When did you know, wow, this is something I, I'd like to develop as a career? Um, I just graduated from college and I just thought, you know, you said probably think about what you like to do. And all the things you know you don't want to do. Mm. Well, I, I feel like we talk so much about what we want to do with our lives and that it should be spent in a worthwhile way doing something we love. And I totally subscribe to that. But it's also important, I think, to know the things that you don't want to do. Mm. And what were those? Um, I knew I didn't want to sit at a desk. Yes, yes, I feel you. I knew that at least at that time I didn't want to have to put together a whole wardrobe. Yes. Of color coordinated outfits that were just for work. That right. really was deeply not compelling um, right. as a concept. I knew that I would not, that I would work a lot and that I would work extra and work late, but that I couldn't be counted on to get there every day at 9 a.m. sharp and didn't want to. And th those were not only things I didn't want to do, I just couldn't see myself sort of delivering. You know, and again, don't we make a lot of our career decisions when we're pretty young? Yes. You think about it. It is. It's crazy. I was aware of my impulsiveness. I was aware that to some extent I was temperamental. Mm. Um, I, I grew up with two very academic people. My parents were 
you know, they met at Yale when they were both getting, my dad was getting a PhD in history and my mother was getting a master's in Russian. Mm, and wow. they met studying at Yale. So these are two academics who devoted their lives to books and, you know, lots of other things. But I think the net result of that was that I thought, I want to do something physical. So those were sort of the things I knew. Um, and then my father, you know, just kept saying, what do you like to do? What's something you could do all day long, every day? And I'm describing it all to you like this because I don't necessarily subscribe to the concept of passion. Hmm. Um, when pe- I meet someone really young and they say, I'm very passionate about cooking. And I just think, I don't know if you know what passion is until you're really good at something. Then actually you're passionate. I almost feel like it's unrealized passion. So I might say, I suspect I have some passion in the future allocated for this profession was how I put it to myself. But I just kind of got up and I was graduating from college and I thought, you know, just pick something and just do it for a while. (laughs) And if you don't like it, just do something else. Well, you picked right. Well, my mother kept saying to me, Pick something and be it. Yeah, interesting. So I was like, well, I'll be this. Uh, but but you picked a, a very difficult career because there's nothing tougher than the hospitality industry, especially for women, especially for when you were in the kitchen at the very beginning. I mean, how hard was it? Well, I would start by telling you that being a farmer or a fisher person or anybody who is a purveyor of ingredients and has to contend with Mother Nature the difficulty level of a profession like that makes a chef pale in comparison. Mm. So there are a lot of professions that I do find far harder. As far as gender goes, what are you going to do? You know, (laughs) really, what are you going to do? You're in the restaurants in New York city. I mean, you're in the cauldron. I I mean, what, so you're not going to go. Well, first of all, um, I went to culinary school in France and then I worked in a three-star Michelin in Paris for almost seven years. Mm. with all men. So I actually wasn't really in a restaurant in New York until after I came back and started working for Danielle Ballou Mm. after that. But, you know, they were like, well, you're a girl. And and if that wasn't bad enough, you're also American. Like, yeah, but they were playful about it. It was really, at least in my young mind, it was somewhat something I could work with, you know? Yes. It wasn't as difficult as the stories you hear. It sounds like you enjoyed the experience. I didn't say that. <laughs> I just wanted to learn. I want, yeah. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to get out of my day. Mm. And so I wasn't going to let any riffraff get in my way. And, you know, I think that's like, if you have the good fortune of having a moment of clarity with yourself where you pick something good and you just doggedly pursue it, you mm. know, both my parents, they were always reading and writing and learning. You know, they were students of life till the last day, you know, and then there were some rough moments. I remember they wouldn't let me cook anything for the first whole year that I worked at the restaurant. I was not allowed to stand at the stove or cook anything. Really? Yeah. They were like, you can't. After that was kind of up and I started actually cooking, I was so terrified. I had stared at this two-ton stove for a year (laughs) without being able to put a burner on. And I struggled a lot, I remember. And I remember I went downstairs and I thought, I really am going to give up on this. You know, this just doesn't need to be this hard. Hmm. And I went and sat on this like back staircase. And I thought, you know, what can I say to myself to kind of get it together? And I just thought, you know, I've 
I've got a college education, you know? I read Titus Andronicus. Mm. If I can sit through that play, <laughs> I can probably suck some spinach if I put my mind to it. So I think I called upon what I, you know, my, my foundation, my parents, my, you know, the intellectual lives I had witnessed. And I just thought, why can't I somewhat intellectualize the physical act of cooking? I just remember thinking it. So I went upstairs and I just kind of did it. Yeah. Really something clicked in my head, but it only clicked in my head after I repeated the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, over and over and over. You know, I, people say, how do I get good at cooking? I mean, what a joke. Well, what do you mean? How do you get good at cooking? Start cooking. Get a saute pan, <laughs> some chicken. Let's do this. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. As the weather turns colder and the holidays are here, if you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red or a bottle to gift to someone, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small sub-region, Stag's Leap District, home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in Cabernet that is truly delicious. The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture. This is a wonderful option for holiday gift giving or to bring to a special dinner party. Listeners of To Dine For will receive a 15% discount at uncork.com. Just use promo code To Dine For at checkout. Cheers and happy holidays. Now back to our conversation. When you became the executive chef at Butter, which is just this amazing, delicious, very hot spot in New York City, tell me about that experience of, of, of helming that ship. Did you love it? Was it hard? How would you characterize that experience? I called it, we can't believe it's still open. <laughs> or, yeah. um, Butter was open a year before I got there. So it had an original opening chef. And when he left, you know, they were sort of auditioning people for the chef sub and, you know, how do you get a job? Uh, don't want it. That's how you get it. <laughs> uh, I was teaching cooking and I was actually taking like a little breather from restaurants because I was just, I was, I remember I was pretty, I was just pretty fried. Yeah. Burnt you know, out. Mm -hmm. you know, you work somewhere for like two years and you're just burned out. 
you need to sleep yeah. and like drink water and right. <laughs> eat. Get some sunshine. Yeah. So I was like sort of in an interim breather. I was doing some little jobs here and there, but I really wasn't working that much, which was curious. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, oh, they don't have a chef at Butter. Do you want to come down there? And I said, you know, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. So I went down there and I had dinner and I was like, you know, I, I, I don't see this. Mm. They took me in the kitchen after I had dinner and I looked at the guys cooking and there was no chef. The chef had already left. And this one guy was cooking scallops at the stove and he just turned around and he was smiling. <laughs> I think that the vibration from the pan that he was holding was like literally traveling up his arm and <laughs> making him smile. That's what I decided. And I looked at his face and I said, I'll take the job. And, and what was it about his smile? I just knew that this was a person that I wanted to look at for a long time. And he still works with me 20 years later. What's his name? Uh, Antonio Morales. And you just got a good vibe. Yeah. And then all the other guys that were there, three of them walked out the minute I walked in the room. Three guys walked out and I showed up for work. Uh, they said, oh, no. And they left. Because you're a woman? Y- you know, like, I- I'm not too into talk like that. I, I-, I don't know. I'm going right. to guess. Right. It was embarrassing. Yeah. You know, that's. Remember, I felt embarrassed, like I hadn't even done anything. And already I was being passed over. Okay. I did. I was only thinking about myself and how I could be successful and a team leader for the people that actually wanted to stand in the room. So they did me a favor. Sure they did. Every single person that was standing in that room 20 years ago, maybe with the exception of one, still works at Butter. Really? That yeah. says, and, and that's, that's astounding in the restaurant business, right? We're just a, yeah, it's a group of people that want to be together. I know mm-hmm. that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a group of people that want to be together and it just keeps kind of reconfiguring itself. You know, people come and go too. Mm-hmm. you know, people leave for a year, they come back, you know, we always joke about it. Nobody ever really leaves. Well, it sounds like you've created a culture, not intentionally, because I don't think that's kind of in your MO, but you've created a culture where people just enjoy their work. Oh, no, I, it was with great intention. Mm. Other than my daughter, I might call it my greatest achievement. And, and what do you mean by that? It was with great intention that I, that I made sure everybody wanted to be there. I spent a lot of time and energy, mm. you know, making people feel proud of what they do, making people feel uh, validated. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I did that was kind of interesting, and, you know, my mother was so fascinated with food as an expression of culture. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like we needed some morale building activities, you know, just to kind of bond us. So I would say about half the kitchen was from Mexico and Colombia and El Salvador. And half the kitchen was like deeply American people. Mm-hmm. And I said to half of the kitchen, have you ever had a real American Thanksgiving? And they said, you know, no, that's not something we know. And I said, said, well, I've never really had Christmas or Christmas meals from your cultures. Mm. So let's do an American Thanksgiving and a Mexican, Colombian, El Salvadorian Christmas meal for the staff. And half the kitchen will cook one meal and the other half won't. And then the other half will cook. And I said, you know, you can choose what you want. I love it. You want to make the Thanksgiving dinner? Great. If you're American and you want to make, you know, I didn't make it, I didn't divide 
by race or culture. Right. I simply suggested, you know, and so we started that tradition and we still do it to this oh, day. Oh, amazing. I would imagine when you're in the trenches of a kitchen, that that sort of camaraderie and that sense of belonging is really everything. You you mentioned that it was about, you know, validating the people in the kitchen, but I would imagine also allowing them to be as creative and as innovative as they wanted to be and, and, and let that be an environment where they could really soar. You know what I'm big on is acceptance. Hmm. I like a, a group of people that just all accept each other. Someone has a bad day, you accept it. Yeah. Someone came to work and had a rough day at home, you accept it. Someone's uh-huh. late, someone else picks up the slack. Someone's early. You know, like I remember the one guy would come always at three o'clock every day. The other people would straggle in and he would put um, cutting boards down at every station in the whole kitchen. Mm. He didn't have to do that. Right. You know, and when you're cooking, you've got a prep list and you've got stuff to do. You don't want to do one thing that doesn't pertain exactly to you. Sure, sure. Until you're done with all your own work. Yeah. And then I remember one night, I was so chill, like we were all set up, which was unusual. And we were kind of just waiting for dinner service. And I thought, and everybody's standing around chit-chatting. And again, that's just it. You know, you're done with your work, chit-chat, have a minute, have a coffee. Yeah. Fill out, because I'm going to need you to grind later. Right. And then I uh, I went downstairs to look at some stuff in the refrigerator and I came out of stairs and everybody was running like frantic, like it was a fire drill. <laughs> and I, I said, what happened? And every single person, nothing, nothing happened. One person was chopping parsley. One person was dicing. People were just freaking out. And I said, I, is someone going to tell me what happened? And I went to the food runner yeah. and I said, what happened? And he said, um, Mickey broke a glass. It was on top of his station and it fell. All the glass fell in all his preps. Oh. So he had to throw out all his preps and Ugh. everybody just is prepping one thing for him. Oh, wow. So that in 10 minutes he'll be set up. Yeah, that's awesome. And I said, you know, why wasn't anybody going to tell me? And they said, you know, they thought you'd be mad. Hmm. And I said, I'm not sure I, ha- I there's a place for anger at right. this moment. I'll be angry here. But for right now, I can't find a place for anger because I'm I'm really moved by the fact that they protected him. Yeah. No one was going to tell me what had gone wrong, and yeah. everybody was going to work until he was okay. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, that's the culture. It's a it is a culture, and people because they're happy working there, they take care of it. They yeah. That. Did you expect that you would have a career on television? And 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 no. do you do you, do you sometimes marvel at my gosh? You've been on so many shows and have, you know, showcased your not only your talent but you have had fun. I mean, you've really been all over the Food Network. What what's it like when you look back at your television career? Never mind your chef career. It's super bizarre, honestly. <laughs> I did not start out with any intention of that. I just wanted to be on Iron Chef America. Mm, that was the beginning. It's just the show I, I wanted to be on. Yeah. That really did it for me. That experience. Oh, it just keeps going. I mean, every year I get up and I say, God, I've had a good run. Yeah. You know, and it just kind of keeps going. And I just kind of say, wow, okay. I'm actually doing a new show called Alex versus America. That's going to premiere in January. I, I know. I'm really excited. Tell me about it because this podcast will actually air. It will drop in January, right when your new show is starting. So I'd love to hear about it. We pick a 
whether it's a technique or an ingredient or something and three steps from around the country who are experts in this particular thing come and challenge me mm. and we all cook each other. It's fascinating what happens. Is it a little bit like beat Bobby Flay in the fact that you're competing against chefs? Definitely. It definitely has that. And I told Bobby about it and he goes, oh, so it's like beat Bobby Flay. And I said, <laughs> you know what? It is. Why have any pride? Right. Why not just say the truth? It's yeah. just so much faster to admit your crime. Right. <laughs> well, you're, you know what? I, one of the things I follow you on, on Instagram and one of the things that I feel like really differentiates you in a wonderful way is you just seem to have a, a love of teaching other people your tricks and you really care about other people who want to learn just as simple as that. And I feel like you're very generous with your time and energy. And if anyone has a question about how to really cook anything, I feel like you're there for them. Is that something you enjoy social media and interacting with the audience? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think should be again, a culture of acceptance and a mm-hmm. place where you can ask your questions and no question is stupid and no question is, you know, well, I mean, I, I don't want to say no question is inappropriate, but I mean, it's hard to ask <laughs> an appropriate question about a turkey. I just want people to cook. And I want yeah. them to realize that, you know, everybody burns stuff and everybody overcooks stuff. And it isn't a reason not to do it mm-hmm. or to feel daunted by it. You know, you should take a chance on yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, you should. I mean, absolutely. I, I think um, for me as a home cook, I, I, I enjoy the process, but I, I get it right half the time I get it wrong half the time I just keep going because you know I enjoy the process absolutely it's fun January is a time of reset people try to you know as you said drink some water get some sunshine is there anything you do in a new year that's that's specific and individual to you no (laughs) nothing you don't have goals you don't you don't write anything down I've just had probably the two worst years of my life mm. without question. Mm. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. I, it's just, uh, I'm sure that they're, or I hope, you know what? I should hope they're the worst. Right, right. You know, a, a ton of loss. Mm-hmm. Um, both people, family members, a lot of my family passing away in rapid succession and and some significant relationships that have just, either ended or been ended or I'm avoiding. And I think there's been a massive clearing that was unexpected. Mm. And the net result is that I don't feel good. Mm. Um, But I also feel, um, you know, my daughter came home and she said, it's really cluttered in this apartment. Hmm. There's a ton of books, a ton of everything, and it makes me anxious. And I said, you know, it's funny. I grew up that way. So I'm just recreating what I know. And she says, it's hard for me to live here. Wow. Which is like, right. Yeah. And so I just said, then let's change it. And we donated books we didn't want. We donate, like we donated everything. Mm -hmm. Um, We probably cleared 50 to 60% of what was in the apartment we live in out. And she just said, wow, you know, like we have this space. So I feel like that was a letting go of a lot of things, not just right. objects. So I think, unfortunately, timing-wise, the reset you're describing is not going to come in January because it's, yes. it's, it's ongoing and it started um, 
Well, it started really in July, which wasn't really my choice, but a, another series of sort of unfortunate things made July the time. And so I don't want to put pressure on the month of January to be a moment when I refresh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to get through it without feeling lonely. I, yes. I think loneliness is, is like a tough thing. And as an only child, you know, I kind of grew up like a lone wolf, you know? Yeah, me too. I'm an only child. Yeah, a lot of self-soothing yes. and a lot of, you know, maybe food and cooking. And the kitchen was a place I could go where my parents were doing stuff. Right. And so maybe I'll do that. Right. I think people assume when they when they think of a chef that they just love being in the kitchen every single minute. And the truth is, it's a lot of work. And sometimes, uh, you know, you do love it. But there are other points of, dare I say, passion that are part of your life that sometimes in hard times, it's nice to lean in to those things that bring us, if not joy, peace, whatever they look like, even if it's sitting down with a good book. I wonder if there's something beyond the kitchen that really sparks joy for you. Yeah. I really like the way you said that. I think that's really, uh, that's what I'm going to look for. As far as the reset goes, I don't know. I'm always trying to drink water. I really don't want to. (laughs) I don't. It's so essential. So I've got some goals to her. I want to be better behaved with myself. Do you mean like talking to yourself better, being kinder to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, the punitive voices that we all contend with, right? Those, some Mm -hmm. of those internal, Mm -hmm. they're, they're okay. They're, they're kind of, they're, the natives are not restless in that area. (laughs) I don't know. I think, I think I can change people and Mm -hmm. I think, I think I can help them and change them. And, you know, it's all, it's just as much serving my own need as it is helping someone else. And I would want to kind of opt out of doing that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, it's one thing when you're in a kitchen and you're working with people and you're collaborating and you're growing and there's so much energy, everybody's bouncing off each other. That's something I don't change. But maybe just in my uh, friendships, my relationships, a little bit less of that, a little bit more acceptance of other people and myself. Well, it's Alex, I think that, you know, your transparency with with, you know, just being honest that you have had a rough few years is going to inspire and kind of help a lot of people because I think we've all had a really rough go through the pandemic, but it's, it's sort of a dichotomy when you have this amazing new show that's starting on the food network. And then you're also personally dealing with a lot, you know, that juxtaposition of this, wow, exciting time, but also, you know what, sometimes life is so complex and you have to hold space for two totally different emotions of great excitement of a show. And then just, uh, wow, this has been a rough, a rough year. Yeah. Listen, uh, I I have no illusion. I'm not throwing a pity party for one. I think everybody's (laughs) been through a lot. Yeah, really. I do see it all around me. I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I think I've lost somewhat this thread that I've always held on to, you know, like, I can't decide if the thread pulls me along or whether I use it as an as like a device and an excuse and I just walk along the way I want holding it. I can't decide, you know, mm. whether it pulls me or it's just a device. Mm. But I think I I I I've dropped it. Mm. And and I'm I'm looking for it. Yeah. And I it 
some sense of purpose. What I'm supposed to be doing with my time, whatever that looks like, I'm not sure. Um, so I'm looking for the threat. Is that a reset in January? Yes, Look it for is. An imaginary threat. It really is. And, you know, I I really, I think that it's always interesting to hear different people's story. We had Scott Conant on uh, two months ago, and, you know, he he talks about his evolution as a chef and really as a human. And I think it it helps everyone to realize that we're all a work in progress and we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think we always are, but probably more than ever. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough, Alex, for this time, for your transparency and for your amazing talent. I cannot wait to watch your new show. Oh, I hope you will. Thank you. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast. American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.